Welcome to the Village Youth Podcast Show. Hey, this is awesome. Um, I'm pretty excited because uh, I love summertime. Summertime is nice, it's warm, it's sunny when we get out of service, it's beautiful. And uh, I like the fact that we are like small in numbers, we get to know each other. This will blew my mind. Uh, today we started the bus service. Come on, bus. Who was on the bus? Give a holler. Come on, bus people. Uh, the bus is awesome. So one, if you live in North Surrey or by the Bell Center, Bring people to the bus. It's a party. It's a jam. But this is one of the sad things about the bus. While we were on the bus, I was talking to all these people who are regular attenders, who are here for forever. And I went, do you guys know each other? And they're like, no. I'm like, you have all been here for like maybe six months at a time or maybe even years. You have been in this ministry. You don't know each other? That's crazy. So... Let's take advantage of this summertime where people are gone off on trips and the numbers are going to be a bit smaller to actually get outside of our groups, talk to one another, let this be a hospitable place, which we're going to get to later on in this series. But let's be that kind of community that knows one another, that's really close, really tight, and that would be an awesome thing. Number two is uh, we got these guys at the back at the Connect Desk over there. Grab one. This is a summer calendar. Uh, it's going to tell you all the dates of all the events that we have going for this summer. So we got a beach barbecue happening this Thursday at Blackie Spit. Come on. Who's showing up? It's going to be awesome. Uh, spike ball, pier jumping. We got food for you guys, chips, candy, the whole thing. It's going to be great. Uh, July 20th, we have a volleyball tournament happening just kind of three minutes down the road. It's going to be awesome. Uh, grab one of these on your way out. Put it to your fridge. Put it into, like, I don't know, your duotang. I don't even know if you guys have those anymore. Anyways, grab one of these. Keep it. And if not, uh, they are online. We posted on Instagram. The sec uh, third thing is this. We have built you guys a whole booklet for this series called Spiritual Practices. Look at that. It's like it matches that thing. Anyways, so inside here are going to be all four of the practices that we talk about for uh, the next four weeks. So today is kind of more general. It's intro. We're kind of setting up the whole idea. But for the next couple weeks, we're going through a couple different things. We're going through prayer, Bible reading, worship, and community. And those are going to be all the things that we are talking about. So... For those, uh, grab one of these after this, and there's going to be kind of things that you guys will be doing with one another in your small groups based on this book. So it's going to be awesome. Really, really excited for this. But we are talking about spiritual practices. Uh, for those of you guys who do not know what a spiritual practice is, you're going like, what the heck are you talking about? These are just the basic summary of it is this is just stuff Christians have to do. Spiritual practices are the stuff that Christians have to do. Not like, uh, maybe we could kind of do it or whatever. No, no. This is the stuff that Christians do. These are the basic requirements of what being a follower of Jesus even is. And my goal through the series is Job 42.5, which says this. My ears had heard of you. I've heard about you. My friends talk about you. My parents talk about you. I hear about you in church. I know about you. Like I have this, I, my, my ears have heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. It's different from kind of hearing about something versus experiencing that thing. That's what we want through the practices is for us to experience him as a community, as a group. Not just all individual, like I'm a little snowflake, like whatever. No, it's like us together as a group. We experience Jesus in fullness. And this is the point of what we're trying to talk about. That without these practices, we're not going to get into that full experience of Jesus as we believe ourselves to be. When you're immersed in worship, you get that feeling. When you have this long time of prayer... 
You have that feeling when you get these instances of reading your Bible, which is like mind-blowing to you. You get into that kind of rhythm, and it's different for everybody. It's going to look a little bit different, but we have to realize why this is so important. Jesus talks about this kind of experience all the time. It's the stuff that Christians do. Look at Jesus' long-winded talks about these kinds of moments and how he refers to it as. This is what he says, Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 9.35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 4.43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for the purpose. Luke 9.2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Luke 10.9, and heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Acts 1.3, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Acts uh, says it this way, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women. And last one, Acts 19, 8, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And what does that mean? Uh, Yesterday we did a a Canada Day service, Uh, and by service I mean we went to this Canada Day thing in Delta, and we just hung out there, and my father-in-law was like a scientist, and he was blowing stuff up, and all the kids were like, whatever, it was awesome. And as we're sitting there, my father-in-law calls up a little girl from the stage, and as I see the little girl run up, I'm like, oh, she looks really familiar. And then I go and I look at her brothers, and I go, oh my gosh, do you guys remember like years ago when I told this story about how we as a youth ministry used to help out at the Syrian refugee place? And we used to hang out at the Syrian refugee place, and there was two, like, Muslim brothers, Muhammad and Ahmed. And I went, oh, man, those are, like, the most, like, of course, those are going to be the names. You know what I mean? Muhammad and Ahmed. And we were playing basketball outside. They were soccer players. And I had convinced them that my name was Kobe Bryant. And so every single time I'd go and I'd shoot a ball, I'd go, Kobe. And they'd go, Kobe, you're so good. And I'm like, yes, I am. Like, it was crazy. And so these two boys were at this thing. Now, you have to remember their story. They were a part of the Syrian uh, civil war. ISIS was going through, blowing everything up. Their home exploded, exploded. They ran away from their city. They ran away from their village. They got refugee status in Canada. And here they were at the Canada Day Parade in Delta. And I'm watching these two boys. And I walk up to them like, Muhammad. And I couldn't tell which one was which because they're twins. And I go, Muhammad. And just waited for one to respond. Oh, brother. Right? I'm like, yeah. And we're like hanging out. And we're sitting in this ice cream line. And he comes up to me and he goes, do you have WhatsApp? And I'm like, yeah. Do you have WhatsApp? He goes, I have iPad. What? What are you talking about? You have an iPad. You're like 12. He's like, I have it all. And he's like sitting there and he looks awesome. And he has like, I'm like looking at him going, whoa, like where you are now compared to where you were a couple years ago is dramatically different. Like you are soaked into what Canada is. Materialism. Your clothes look different. Your English has improved. Everything about this guy, it, it, it seemed like he was... The both of them, it seemed like they were both completely taken over by a different citizenship. 
It's like their Syrian has kind of gone away and now they have become Canadian. It's like they look different, they talk different, they have a different feel to them. Everything about them was a bit different to me and it was like, it was, it was crazy as I'm looking at these guys going, he has an iPad. He has an iPad. That's crazy. Because the first time I met him, he was playing with a ball that wasn't even inflated. And he's playing soccer outside barefoot with no shoes. And now he has an iPad. And he's WhatsApping people. And he's asking me for my number. He didn't even have shoes. And I was blown away. Because it seemed like his affiliation had changed. It seems like what he does and what he has been doing is completely different. See, spiritual practices is the exact same way. As we're at that same party, at the same uh, Canada Day celebration, uh, this girl that Leash knows comes up to her and says, hey, my, my brother is, or my, yeah, my brother's dating this girl and she went to high school with you. And I was like, okay, what's her name? And we start talking about it. And she goes, yeah, she was really nervous to meet me because I'm a pastor and my brother was kind of like not at the church anymore and this girl was really nervous. And then she looked on Instagram and said we had a mutual friend. And it was you. It was, it was Michael, it was you. And I was like, what's your name? And it was this girl that I had gone to high school with. And as they had this conversation, she said, oh, the only Christian that I know is Michael and he was pretty cool. So I guess your family's not going to be that scary. And I thought to myself, I was like, that is so fascinating that... Years ago, eight, nine years ago, the experience that I had in high school as a Christian is still affecting relationships that I don't even talk to anymore today. Man, spiritual practices, what they do to you is they change your affiliation. It's like it changes your citizenship. It's like going from what they were in to what they are now. They are completely different individuals, and that's what spiritual practices do for us. See, this is what Richard Foster says about spiritual practices. Full participation in the life of God's kingdom. That whole list of what Jesus was just going off about. The kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Full participation in the life of God's kingdom and in the vivid companionship of Christ with Jesus himself comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the practices for life in the spirit. We as human beings are just a bundle of habits engraved onto a blank slate. It's just the things that we do over and over again. It's, it's when we pick up our phones. It's when we go to the mall. It's when we go to school. It's when we do our homework, the way we talk to our parents. We do these things in a, in a kind of similar way. Realize that when you come here every single week for youth, you probably sit similarly in the same seats. Like we are creatures of habits. We just keep doing the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And Christians have to be really careful of this. As a follower of Jesus, what we begin to do is we create these habits that we think are good things and really are having a negative effect on us. Let me tell you a difference, Christian, in the room. There is a difference between trying to stop doing bad things and doing good things. Those are different things. Christian, hear me. There is a difference between trying to stop doing bad things and doing good things. Just because you've stopped watching porn, talking to that person you know you're not supposed to talk to, drinking at the party, smoking, vaping, whatever these things are, you've set the agenda going like, as I'm going to be a good Christian as long as I cut out blank, 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 blank. No, that's not the game we're playing. Those are not the rules. It's not just cut out all of the bad stuff and then you're good. What about loving people, caring for them, being generous? 
showing who is really behind you. Those are things that you should be living for. Because if you live your life in such a way where it's just cut out all of the bad stuff, then you begin to realize that what that does to you is it makes you really strange. It makes you religious. Okay, as long as I don't smoke, as long as I don't, you know, talk to that girl, send that photo, as long as I don't do those things, then I'm good. That's religion. Or you live your life in such a way where when you do make the mistake that you know you're not supposed to do, you're constantly living in fear that someone's going to find you out. Or you just become joyless. Oh, man, my whole life is about not doing, not doing, not doing, not doing, not doing. Where's the joy in that? Where's the fullness of life that Jesus says that he's going to give you? That's not there. Or it's that we're constantly negative. Because we're trying so hard not to do bad things. When we see other people do bad things, we go, Carla. Doesn't even know the Lord. Look at us. And then we become those people. Those Christians. Judgmental. Look down on people. Why? Because the habits that we've created of not doing bad things and not doing good things has made us religious Fearful, joyless, and negative. See, the habits, the practices that we follow of just not trying to do the bad things and never even thinking about blessing, being generous, loving people, giving our time, our energy, volunteering, none of those things have come into a place where it's really affected us. And it's not just Christians. It's every single one around us. I was walking through the mall today before we went to the bus. And as I'm looking through the mall, I'm just going, man, every single photo in here is telling me that I am not enough until I have this thing. Right, I'm walking around and then there's like this dude with these like glasses and he's like, oh man, he's so good looking and like the jawline, ah, the jawline. Right, I'm just sitting there like, I need, you know, and, I'm, and it's like this part of me was like, only if I get those glasses, like the jawline would just magically appear. Like that's what happened in my mind. And then you're walking through and I'm just like, oh man, like you should, you should really have a parent with you when you walk through the mall. Like, how many girls in bikinis did I see in these photos? And literally, in Guilford Mall, there's a place called Bikini World. That's not a world. That's a store, right? And we're like confused, and it's like, I, I can imagine being a young girl walking through the mall and going, oh, man, that Photoshopped airbrushed body is what I long for, and only if I get that billabong swimsuit, then I'm really going to get it. It's like this happens to us all the time. It's the Instagram videos that we watch. It's the stupid things that people do in YouTube videos. It, it does something to us. It changes the way we think about things. I remember there was a popular YouTuber who said um, th these one sentences that was like, uh, feels bad. I remember when he said that for the very first time. Feels bad, man. In my high school at that point when that YouTuber said that, everybody started saying that term. Feels bad, man. Feels bad. I think about that, I go, people like literally can't even have conversations without talking in meme. Like meme should be a language. Like as soon as a meme pops out, you're like, oh, right. Like you start talking in this way, you're like, what the heck just happened? Like I sit around you guys sometimes and I'm going, is this freaking Klingon? What's going on? What is happening? They're like, dude, you haven't seen the video. No, I haven't. And then I look old. And depressed, and then I have to go home and spend my life going, what do teenagers watch? It's like horrible. It's affecting me. It's the things you watch over and over and over again. Man, your phone is crazy. Uh, you know how that big thing came out uh, earlier, I don't know, a couple years ago maybe, where you like spit in the jar? 
and it like tells you whether you're like African or not. You know what I mean? That thing, whatever that thing's called. You like spit in the jar and it goes and it takes your genome and then you go like, what's your background? And you're like, you know, I come out of him like, I didn't even know I was from Thailand or like whatever. Like it does that thing. It, it separates your genome and it founds where the root of that thing is. Super crazy. The New York Times did this article on a Harvard study that did the exact same thing, but it wasn't through your spit. It wasn't through your DNA. It wasn't through your genome. What they referred to it as was a screenome. Screenome. What does that even mean? Um, in the study, this is what it said. Screen time, being on your phone, computer, laptop, iPad, whatever, they noted is too broad to be scientifically helpful. They cannot remotely capture the fragmented, ever-shifting torrent of images that constitutes digital experience. People switch from screen to another screen every 20 seconds on average and rarely spend 20 minutes uninterrupted on any activity that includes YouTube and on Netflix. Think about that. Every 20 seconds, you have to move on to something different. You can't sit still to watch 20 minutes of anything before you turn it off. Stand-up comedians are talking about how their hour-long specials are too long for the current consumer thought. Everything has to be quick, everything has to be rapid, and things like Vine, when that was out, changed the way that we experience media. It did something to us. That's what I'm trying to get us to figure out. The things that we do are doing things to us. The things that we do are doing things to us. And so this is what they did. They put an app on a bunch of people in the study's phone. And the app tracked all of the apps and all of the screens that they were on. And it called it a screenome. And so the screenome, each person's screenome is similarly unique. A sequential, disjointed series of screens. And based off of how you used your phone, the, the amount of times that you switch from Facebook to Instagram, Instagram to YouTube, YouTube to TikTok, TikTok to like whatever the heck else you're watching or whatever you're using to like Angry Birds 75 or whatever they're on. Like whatever you're playing, whatever you're doing, whatever you're watching, they could determine the level of mental health, uh, anxiety, what weight you are, how old you are. They can determine all of these things that you do not even know about yourself based on how you use your phone. The things that you are doing are doing things to you. The way that you are using your phone is doing something to you. It is crazy. And then look at what it says. This is the New York Times. This is not a Christian organization. This is not a Christian newspaper. But this is what the, this is what the doctor in the study said. This is a well-documented process that suffering generally contracts focus on the self, whereas mental well-being extends focus beyond the self. Usually, if you have some kind of suffering or mental illness or a mental health problem, it's usually, this is, this is not Jesus, this is not a gospel writer, this is a doctor from New York who says, if you have mental health problems, it usually shows itself by focusing on you too much. And the solution where mental well-being extends is focus beyond the self. Spiritual practices is exactly trying to do that. It's trying to take you out of just thinking about yourself every five seconds and to think about something different. The goal is not to think about you, but it's to think about what is Jesus like? And what does Jesus do that I have to imitate so that I could be like him? And we have done this our whole lives. You look at your dad, you look at your mom, 
There are things about both of those individuals that you love and you want to be more like. There are things about your parents that you don't like and you do not want to continue on. Maybe it's an older cousin or it's a sibling who you really admire and you began to just imitate them and do the things that they did because you loved them so much. I had a cousin like that. His name was Alex. He was a soccer player. He was super cool. He was in grade 12 when I was in grade 8. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to live in this guy's shadow. He was so cool. And at the point when I was in the 8th grade, Cristiano Ronaldo was like the coolest person in the entire world, in the soccer world. And he had this haircut, which was like not a mohawk, but it was kind of a mohawk, but he had hair still. And it went down, and it kind of had a rat tail at the end. And my cousin got that haircut. And as soon as I, got, I saw my cousin get that haircut, I was like, oh, man, he's so exotic looking. I need it. So I stole 20 bucks from my mom, and I went to the, the barbershop in, in the mall at Surrey Central, and I took a picture from my cousin's, like, whatever, Facebook at the time. And I was like, I need this. And he's like, we'll give it to you. And so I go, and he gives me, like, that exact same haircut. And I was like, oh, my goodness, life is good. And uh, I go to school the next day. And uh, as I'm walking through school, for some odd reason, as I was walking, people kept on, like, and I was like, I look hot. Right? I'm just walking, and I'm like, everyone, like, has their eyes on me. And, uh, and I get to art class. I remember this. Oh, it was art class. And, uh, and my friend, who was a girl, and she was like, awesome, walks up to me. She goes, what's with the haircut? And I'm like, that looks nice, eh? And she goes, no. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you have a rat tail. Now, the worst part is, you know when somebody gives you a haircut, and for some reason they give you, like, the mirror that shows you the back of their head, and they're like, is that okay? And then... I never really ever looked at the mirror. I was just kind of like, yeah, it was great, whatever. And so I went to the bathroom and I uh, grabbed my phone and did like this awkward like to see the back of my head thing. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, dear God, oh, dear God. And I ran back into the art class and I got her to chop it off with like the little craft scissors. And she cut my hair like in art. And my teacher was like, that is so beautifully artistic. A. And I was like, nice. It was a performance piece. And so I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, like I'm idle. I'm like looking at this guy who I loved and cherished and wanted to imitate and be exactly like, and it led me to do dumb things. Man, you have been there. You do that all the time. You see people who you care about. Maybe it's an older student at school who you're like, that dude's like the man. Like, uh, and he like does the thing. Like, he has the jewel. And you're like, I need the jewel. Like, whatever. It's just dumb. And you're sitting there. You're like, that's who I want to be like. And you start realizing that you're doing dumb things to garner attention because you think that's what you want to do. It's a vision. It's a role model. It's a person. And what I'm trying to say to you is that if mental health problems is focusing on you, then what I'm trying to say is spiritual well-being is looking to him. And spiritual practices are the means to which you look at him. Spiritual practices, the things that we are going to talk about, are the things that allow you to see him clearly. Because Jesus is not the Norwegian hipster ski instructor that just loves peace and cares about everyone and smokes ganja in the backyard and is like, everyone's like super cool. Like that's how we see Jesus. Is this weird hipster stoner who like loves everybody and is a hippie. And that's not the Jesus that I believe in. The Jesus that I know is king creator. Lord of lords, king of kings, God of all gods. He is the one who redeemed us from our sin. He's not this pathetic guy who's just sitting there looking for us to like, please pay attention to me. Please pay attention to me. That's not who he is. And we treat him that way. 
And we treat these things that way. Oh, man, if I pray, read my Bible, enter into worship, join in community, those are ways of me controlling the God of all gods. That's crazy. That we are like, man, let me determine how much attention I give you, Jesus. And he's sitting there like, okay. Because I'm sitting here just weeping over the fact that you are not giving me attention. If that's the way we think about him, then we have things completely reversed. If the creator of all things is up there, we should be the ones looking at him and going, man, I can't believe you would give us time. Man, the, the gospel writers are just astonished by Jesus' intimacy and relationship with people. Like, why would you give them the time of day? The psalmists are saying, man, who is man to you that you give us so much attention? The Jesus that I understand is not the Jesus that we think we know. He's much grander. He's much bigger than anything that I could ever possibly imagine. And the vision, the role model of him is what I think we have misunderstood. There's a guy named James K. Smith who says this, that Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, the way we think, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less, nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. That part of you that just says, I want that so badly. I want that thing now. Right, the, the scorn of a teenager is that everything must be immediate. We don't think about the long term. We don't think about five years from now. It's, oh, what about now? Why isn't she texting me back now? Why isn't she my girlfriend now? And we know the difference. We know the way we operate. We know the way we think about these things. Where you're so into that girl for like six months. And then you're like, oh, we kind of broke it off. And two months later, you're like, I don't even know why I was with her. Or you would do the same thing, ladies, with a guy. No, please, don't leave me. No, please, no, no, please. And then like three months after, you're like, that dude was a loser. Right? It's the curse of the immediate. I can't believe I did that horribly on that exam. Just ruined your day for weeks on end. And then six months later, you never think about it again. He's not after your mind. He's after what you love, what you care for, the longing that you have. That same kind of absolute emotion that you have over that girl is what he's trying to capture from you. That's the thing we're talking about. That the greatest danger to the church today is not that we have made it too difficult. It's that we've made it too easy. We've allowed you to believe that Jesus is this pathetic little puppy who's just dragging on for your attention, and that is not who he is. He's the God of gods. And listen, if you want relationship with him, then these are the things that we as Christians do. We pray. We read his word. We enter into worship in every part of our life. And we join an intentional community around us. See, the problem, as many people have said, including this guy named G.K. Chesterton, he says this. That Christianity has not been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. That we see someone like Jesus, we see all of the expectations, we see the things that are expected of us and how we are to live, and we say, ah, uh, you know what, I give up. We're supposed to do things with us. Think about a basketball player. 
A basketball player who expects to excel in a game without adequate exercise of the body is no more ridiculous than the Christian who hopes to be able to act in the way that Jesus acted and put to the test without living a godly life. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. They're not different. It's just like Muhammad and Ahmed. It's not that one part of their life is different. Everything about them is different. Everything about them is different because of the citizenship that they now have. Man, we intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality so often. It's the thought of being embarrassed or being made fun of, or looking different, or being too unique, or not doing the thing that everybody else is doing, that's the thing that kind of scares us away from doing what it is that we want to do. We forget that when we look at our lives and we go, man, I want to be somebody who just loves people, who cares them. I want to be what Jesus was to people. And we see that as the end goal. We forget that there's also a beginning, and there's a middle to the end. And that's a process, and that's a fight, a struggle against yourself and sometimes the people around you. The true Christ-likeness, true companionship, true friendship to Jesus comes to the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. That's when you see it. When you see the person who's down and out and has no friends and is lonely, Jesus would interact in a way where he would love that person like no other. Do you do that? Are you like that? Do you even want to be that kind of person? Or about the person who was poor, the person who is sick, the person who was ostracized? What about the too religious individual? Isn't it terrifying to think about that when Jesus works in the world, the only person he gets upset with, the only person he gets angry with is not the sinner. He gets angry with the religious uptight church person. Why are you being so uptight? Why are you being so religious? Why are you being so judgmental? That's the person he fights with, not the person who makes mistakes. The things that you are doing are doing things to you. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you become like him. The closer you become like him, the closer you do the things that he did. And that's like every relationship. That's why people say all the time, man, show me your, your, your five best friends and I'll show you your future. It's because you become like the people you are closest with. This happened, um, uh, I tell this story a lot, but G uh, one time Leash, as she was living overseas, uh, she came home for like a week or whatever, and I have this like notorious problem for speaking in accents like all the time. Like I just go switch and somehow everything ends up Australian. I can be doing like a Japanese accent that ends up Australian. I don't know how. I think it's like a mental thing for me. Anyways. I'm going off on all of these accents for like a week straight. And she's hanging out with me like every single day, every single day. And she goes back onto a flight and she's just been like constantly hearing me. And sometimes she would join in and she's like, she wasn't very good at accents at that point And we trained her. And, uh, and so she's like, she's like doing it. She's like, -her -her. I'm like, oh, you sound like a monkey. And so she goes and, and she's like trying to keep up because I'm doing it literally all the time. And uh, she's on a flight. She was a flight attendant. 
And there's these new uh, people, like the new uh, staff on the airplane that were with her. And so she goes and she starts meeting all the different people. It's like, what's your name? Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer, nice to meet you. Uh, what's your name? Sarah. Sarah, nice to meet you. Ben. Ben, nice to meet you. And she gets to this woman. This woman goes, uh, she's like, what's your name? She goes, a thousand. Without even thinking. Leash goes, Oh, what are you, a thousand years old? <laughs> like right in her face. Oh, what are you, a thousand years old? And then goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I don't, I don't even, oh, listen, it was, oh, oh, and like just totally caught herself in this thing. And that's crazy. She had spent so much time with me. Listen, this is the whole point. She's doing, she was doing the accents the whole week over and over again. And what did she realize? What was the point of that whole thing? What she was doing was doing something to her to the point where it became involuntary. She didn't have to think about it. It was natural for her to just go, what are you, a thousand years old? Like, oh, like she just caught herself. Man, there's so many crazy moments like that. Man, yesterday as we're sitting there at this Canada Day thing, at this barbecue at my mom's house, uh, this really interesting moment happened between my older cousin and my aunt, where my aunt, like we were celebrating someone's birthday, and uh, my aunt hadn't come up the stairs yet, and we had finished the birthday song, and my aunt was just ticked, like mad. It is so rude for you not to wait for everyone to sing happy birthday. She was being like such an old lady, and so she's like mad about it. And my cousin was just like so triggered for some reason. I don't know what it was, and he was like, "Well, I told you not to." He's so mad, and then all of a sudden, just gets so he just goes, "I told you not to f and get all that stuff downstairs," and just swears like right at his mom. And we're all sitting there like, and it popped off. Like she was like. I'm leaving. Get out of here. Give me my purse. And like goes and takes off. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I thought about that. I thought about my family and how bad they are at forgiveness and how bad we are at compassion and mercy. And I go, that is of course the natural reaction for someone who practices not being merciful, not being somebody who forgives very well. The natural reaction for him was to just go psycho and pop off. You know those people. For us, it's, as an older person, it's like, what happens when I get cut off in traffic? What's my natural reaction? When someone hits my car with their door, what happens to me? When someone wrongs me, what's my natural reaction? The goal of my life, this is just me, the goal of my life, is in my most involuntary reactions and the reactions that seem the most natural to me, I want those to look exactly like Jesus. That's my goal. And if that's my goal, the only way I can get there is spiritual practices. And that's my goal for you. My goal for you is that in all of your involuntary reactions, you would look more and more and more like Jesus. What do you do when you see someone alone here? Is it, I'm just going to hang out with the friends that I came with because that's what's comfortable for me? Or do I operate in a way where it's like, man, that person has no one, and I remember what it was like to be in their spot. Hey, what do you do when you want to come over here? It's simple things. When someone frustrates you or betrays you or spreads a lie about you, 
or someone sends that photo that doesn't make you look nice and they just did it because they thought it was funny but it really hurts you. What's your reaction to those things? It's so crazy for me to think that nowadays, especially as a girl, life is different. There's so much classic thought about appearance because you're forced to. I don't think we're looking at you guys and going, why are you so obsessed with the way that you look? No, it's because you live in a reality where you can be filmed and you can be caught on camera and a picture can be spread at you at any moment in the day, wherever you are. Of course, the pressure is going to be on. But then again, the things that you are doing are doing things to you. That's what we're trying to figure out. And this life that Jesus has kind of shown to all of us, man, the world is jumping right on it. Jesus lived a simple life. Minimalism. People love minimalism. What about prayer? Prayer is such a deep thing. I remember in junior youth a couple weeks ago, we were having this conversation and I was like, what do you do when you get mad? What's your first thing? And this like, he's like 10. He goes, well, I go in my room and I meditate. Sorry, what? I meditate. I'm going to go in my room and I meditate. Is your name Bikram? Are you from Bikram Yoga? Is that who you are? What is this? You, you just sit in your room and meditate? It's like, yeah, bro. It just really eases my mind. How are you a 95-year-old, 10-year-old? That doesn't make any sense. But he just learned it. His school, his friends, TV, YouTube. He just picked up, let's meditate when I'm angry. The world loves that kind of stuff. If you watch any kind of podcast about celebrities, a big thing about what they do is meditate. They try to project. They try to think about things. The funniest thing to me, it's not very funny, but it's kind of funny. You know, it's like when, it's like when someone's dog dies. And they post about it on, like, Instagram or Facebook or something. And those people go, just sending you good thoughts. Thanks. When is it coming? FedEx? UPS? Like, where, where, what's going on? No, bro, just sending you, like, the good vibes. But you see what that is, right? It's just people, which is so fascinating in the world, trying to adopt the practices of Jesus without Jesus. Fasting, isn't that popular? Intermittent fasting. It's the process of Jesus without the Jesus. Meditation, it's prayer, but without Jesus. Minimalism, it's simple life without Jesus. Humanitarian work. You know that the most humanitarian efforts on the planet are Christian organizations. The ones that go in through after tsunamis and goes after floods and goes after wars are Christian organizations. And people all over the place begin to do NGOs that save people and help people. Why? Because the root motivation for them is not because I want to honor Jesus with my love, my money, with my words and my actions. It's because I want to feel better about myself and so I want to help people. The action is practicing 
Jesus without Jesus. And the world has excelled at that. These things do something to you. And what you do does something to you. And what my goal through this series is as we go through all four of the things that we're talking about is A, you actually try it. B, you force yourself to do it more than once. C, you do it with people around you. And D, hopefully, I'm not saying for every single one of these, but maybe for some, you actually begin to love doing it. Prayer for me has always been hard. I always thought it was awkward. I always thought this was just like a strange, like it just was not my vibey vibe vibe. That's not me. But for some reason, reading the Bible for me came super easy. Just love listening to the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love learning about the Bible. And then it gets to prayer and it's like, ah! ah. Jesus. Today's been a weird one. Amen. <laughs> like, it just wasn't easy. I'm not saying you're coming out of this like a professional. I'm not saying you're coming out of this like the best in the world. I'm just saying... Let's take a thought to go, if these are the things that it means to be a Christian, what does it look like for you to start them? It's the point of this series. It's the goal of what we want to do. And hopefully, you would join with us and you would bring people with you to go along with this journey. Thank you for listening to the Village Youth Podcast Show. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and don't forget to subscribe.